Hello, my friends, and welcome to a special edition of 30 Albums for 30 Years, 1964 through 1994. I am your host, Jay Sweet. For this show, I will share with you my discussion with bass legend Ron Carter from April 14th, 2022. Now, this came about when I spoke to Ron Carter for a cover article celebrating his 85th birthday and his May 10th concert at Carnegie Hall celebrating the maestro. Ron Carter has appeared on well over 2,000 recordings and is often listed as the most recorded bass player ever. He was a member of Miles Davis's second classic quartet from 1963 through 1968. He has won three Grammy Awards and is on some of the most celebrated jazz albums ever recorded. He also has numerous recordings as a leader and has written many fine compositions. Most recently, Ron Carter was featured in the biographical film called Ron Carter, Finding the Right Notes, which aired on PBS. Over the last several months, Ron Carter has done a great deal of press and has made himself more accessible to the greater jazz community. I was slightly intimidated speaking with Ron Carter over Zoom, and from the start, he let me know that he only answers one question at a time and to pattern my questions in a very specific way as to only ask one. I felt he warmed up to me after a little while, and I did to him, although you may sense some nervousness in me during this conversation. After all, he's one of the all-time greats of jazz bass. But we got into a bunch of topics, and at one point, I must admit, I sort of tricked him into playing for me a little bit when I asked him specifically about one of the accessories on his bass. At the time of the conversation, he was preparing for his Carnegie Hall concert and seemed somewhat concerned with selling out the venue, and he kind of pushed me to attend the show. Uh, I didn't have the heart to tell him I was also playing a gig that evening, although it was nowhere as important as a Carnegie Hall show and that I couldn't make it. I sure wish I did, though, because I heard it was a wonderful evening, and I know he enjoyed my story on him from May of 2022 in New Jersey Jazz Magazine because he reposted it and he even used a cover photo for some time for his social media profile. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the legend, Mr. Ron Carter. How did you come to play the bass? I was originally a cello player. And as I'm going through the ranks at my junior high school and high school orchestra, I realized, they realized that he's a very talented young man. Uh, so I auditioned for the orchestra and when I was 14 and got in the orchestra as a, a, a cellist. And as I was, I was changing teachers because I was kind of out, outgrowing what they could show me, you know, uh, which was quite a thing back in the day when a young African-American kid is outpacing his teachers. That's kind of unheard of. And even I ended up going to Cass Tech in Detroit, which was a big school at the time. It was like a junior college, only really high school. And uh, every now and then there would be these uh, PTA meetings and these conferences where they would call schools to provide some music. And uh, when it came down to Cass Tech, I thought that I should have gotten more calls than I got. To be in this I realized that uh, uh, the bass player who was graduating in January of 1955, if he graduated, then there'd be no bass player in the orchestra, chamber group. So I, I talked with my parents and I told them this was my plan. I was going to be the bass player. I was going to make them call me. So I uh, sold my cello, got a teacher, got a teacher, <laughs> got a teacher. 
and uh, audition and got in the school orchestra as a, a bassist, and that's how I got to play bass. Okay, and then how did that, uh, how did you develop into a professional player from there? Well, I kept a teacher at East School, Oscar Zimmerman, a great teacher and a wonderful player, and a really lovely man. He was my teacher for four years. He showed me how the bass worked. He showed me the things that the bass could possibly do. He showed me how to develop skill level on what I thought I could find on the instrument. Uh, in the meantime, I had joined when I would go home for the spring break back to Detroit. Mm -hmm. My parents still lived. My neighbor who says putting together a little jazz band to play for the uh, summer parties at the sororities and fraternities at Wayne State University. Could I help him out? I said, well, I don't know the library, but I'm sure it's not too complicated, man. I mean. Uh, she sent me some records, you know, Paul Desmond, the Dave Brubeck was hot at the time, the Jazz Coast to College. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I listened to it and said, well, I think I can do this, but I'll need some, some, some guidance as to what, what's okay, what's not, what's, what's going to work, what's not going to work, you know. So we had some rehearsals, and ultimately I fell into the Detroit uh, frat sorority weekend party jazz group, that kind of thing, and I would go back to school. And uh, I ultimately joined the house band at the place called the Ridgecrest Inn, which is just outside of Rochester. And uh, they had all the big names coming in by way of Canada, going back to New York City on the truck, the train trunk line, which was a big road from Canada all the way down to the New York by way of you know, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., Boston, New York City. Uh, and I would be playing behind uh, singles. And he still came in by himself for a week. Uh, uh, Slim Gaylor came in by himself for a week. Groups like that, and, and the, the groups that came in were complete. Dizzy's band was complete. Horace Silver's band was complete. Uh, Carmen McRae's band was complete. I got a chance to meet these wonderful bass players who told me that uh, in, in New York, if I decided to go to New York, I had a good chance of working because New York needed good bass players. So I, I graduated from Eastman in 1959 and moved to New York August of that year, and here I am. Great. So. Uh, how did you first come to meet then Miles Davis and become a member of his group? Well, I met him at, at a rather circumlocutious event. There was a, a jazz concert in Rochester at the show was called Jazz for Moderns, mm -hmm. one of the early JATP kind of shows. And, and uh, they were at the Eastman Theater in 1958 or so. A big package show. Amanda Ferguson had a band. Lambert Hendrickson Ross had a band. Uh, Miles had a band, uh, really a, a jazz-packed show. Well, in, in any event, they were taking the train back to New York from Rochester, and whoever was supposed to take them never showed up, or they couldn't find him. And I was with, I was with, just come back to leaving the concert, and the guy said, hey, man, you want to take these guys to the train station? I said, yeah, I got 1954, man. It goes four people in the base. Yeah, I can do that. So I met Miles, and we took him to the train station. My next meeting him was with a, uh, in New York, 1963, I was working with a quartet with Art Farmer, Jim Hall, and Walter Perkins at a place called The Half that was just down in the lower, lower part of Manhattan. And he was, uh, he walked me, he waited till the set was over, and he called me over to talk with him, you know, and I said, he explained to me that the band he had, Paul, Philly, Red, they were leaving the band, Wynn Kelly, actually, to join the West Montgomery Quartet. He was putting together another band to go on the six-week tour that started next week. Was I interested? I said, yes, Mr. Davis, but I got a job for two weeks. 
I'm working with Art Farmer, Jim Hall, and, and Walter Perkins. I'm learning some great tunes. If you will ask Art Farmer, who's the leader, to let me out of my commitment to him, if he says yes, I'm happy to go. If he says no, I'm happy to be with Art now. I got catch you, you know. So he waited till Art came over and they had a long talk, and they had been friends from really back in the day. And Miles, I, I, I don't know what he said, he guessed, I guess he told Art what he needed. And Art agreed to let me go for this gig, and that's how I joined Miles. Now, where you joined him, was Herbie already in the band as well as Tony? Or? No, the band was a sextet. Frank Strozier, alto player from Memphis, Miles, George Coleman, Harold Mayburn was the piano player. Mm. Jimmy Cobb filled out the band because he knew the tunes and he kind of guided us along what was the process. And then how did it uh, then become the, the the quartet that it became? We were, after, after this six-week tour of California, we returned to New York and Miles reassembled the band, adding Tony, replacing Harold, adding uh, uh, Tony Williams, who was replacing Jimmy, who was going to join the Wynton Kelly trio behind West Montgomery. Mm. Uh, Frank Strozier was no longer in the band. And there's a quintet, Miles, George, Herbie, Tony, and myself. Now, in that group, did Miles give you uh, a lot of direction or he kind of let you do what you do? Well, we didn't know what we were doing, what we were doing. But he didn't give me any personal instructions, no. No. Okay, great. So um, obviously you've recorded with <laughs> numerous musicians. Um, and besides the fact that you're obviously a fantastic bass player, what do you think um, are some of the other reasons that people have asked you to work on so many projects? You gotta ask those people, man. I can't speak for them. Is there something about your personality or you gotta, your... you, you gotta ask those people, man? <laughs> I'm not gonna step into that hole. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So um, you're also as a teacher. I mean, even in the yeah. beginning, you stress the importance of having a, a good instructor. Um, yeah, you got a teacher, man. What advice uh, can you give to young bass players? The first thing is get a teacher. I mean, the, the day uh, uh, Jay of a bass player or a musician just walked on the bandstand and killing everybody, those days are kind of myth. They've always been kind of mythical, you know, kind of TV kind of plot things, you know. Music is gone. There are so many wonderful writers and so many new concepts that are now available. So many things require the bass player, in this case, a bass player, to read music, to get bass parts now, that they, that they want to be played, you know? And it, for these bass parts to be played, it takes a certain skill level above and beyond what the skill level was needed in the early 40s to survive, in, in this case, New York. There won't always be a jazz gig available. There'll be a Broadway show. There'll be an off-Broadway show. Every holiday, every Christmas, man, they need an orchestra to do the... Brandenburg's or, or the Hallelujah, Hallelujah Chorus or something like that. There's always work in New York that's not just limited to F7 and B-flat 7, <laughs> C251. C and I think for a bass player to work in New York and make some connections to continue to work and have them continue to know how the bass operates and how the bass works and what the responsibilities are, he's got to have a teacher. And hopefully the teacher will, will direct him in the direction that will make him a uh, not just a productive citizen on the base, but a productive citizen in society. Uh, I think one thing I tell my students as you're trying to get into the New York work scene, you know, uh, when you get the call for the gig, leave your ego at home and take a spare set of ears. 
that way you you're, you're, you're insisting on playing me won't make the guy fire you at the first course because you're, you're playing me and not playing him. Right. So be, um, be somewhat accessible and versatile. Would you say those are two key elements? It's necessary to be both of those. Yeah. Right. All right. Are there any uh, younger bass players on the scene that you were particularly impressed with at the time? Well, you know, that's, there's been no, no going out to hear people play for almost the past three years. And I'm sure they're out there, but I just haven't been out to see them because it hasn't been, hasn't been really possible to get out to see anybody because no one's, they're all closed. Well, now that society is opening up and there are more chances for guys to get out and play and, and the club owners are losing less money because now that people have got to close the club, I'll be able to answer that question to you in about six months. Right, yeah. Do you, um, I'm finding, at least in my area as a bass player and as a musician, that there seems to be a new interest because things have opened up. More people are seem to be going out and a little bit more interest in jazz in general. Is that something that you're feeling a little bit as things are reopening? Well, I, I think, uh, uh, Jay, people want to see the other people want to see other people. <laughs> they want they want to see somebody who's a stranger, and, and those strangers all end up at the jazz clubs because there are more strangers there. Right. I just worked at the Blue Note. Uh, maybe it's four weeks ago or so, mm. every night was full of strangers. It was great. So I think that need, that social need to meet some strangers is playing out really well for the jazz club and the jazz club owners. Right. So it's almost even beyond music. It's just... Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, they want to see another, they've been talking to the same person for two years, man. <laughs> they, want to see, they want to see somebody else. <laughs> I know. That's great. Cool. Um, your newest album, at least I think this was your newest, Skyline, a uh, fantastic album. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me how that particular project came about? I got a call from Gonzalo said he was putting together a, a trio for a, a, kind of a, a music video. You know, whatever that meant to him. I, I thought it was just kind of a, not, not, not a record date specifically, but a video with the record being secondary as it turned out the record was first and the video was just a way to just to, 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 to turn out how show how that record was basically made in a really condensed time you know and we went a couple of times and had a library and we all contributed some songs that we liked that we thought this trio could play without having a lot of direction because of our sensitivities and sensibilities to the musicians that we were playing with gonzalo and jack and I think it turned out to be a, a really, really nice project. Uh, Gonzalo sent me uh, the promotional video, mm -hmm. uh, and it was really impressive, I must say. Great. Yeah, this is fantastic. Now, um, can you tell me a little bit about the upcoming con 85th birthday concert at Carnegie Hall? How did that all come about? And uh, There you go, man. That's three questions already. <laughs> can you tell me about the Carnegie, the, the Carnegie Hall concert that's coming up? Okay, a friend of mine decided that he was going to celebrate my birthday on a, on a for me, a, a rather grand scale. You know, I'm just a bass player in the band, you know? And, and uh, he said, I'm going to get Carnegie Hall for you. I said, well, get it. Okay, you know, well, ultimately he did. And, and uh, so the plan we put together was that I would play, I, I would be the featured artist of this concert. 
but it would be different than that. I would have this three different groups. I would play with each one of them. The trio with Russell Malone on guitar and Donald Vega on, on piano, the trio. The next band would be the quartet with Jimmy Green on saxophone, Irene Rosnes on piano and Peyton Crossley on drums. And we would close the concert with my art tech with four cellos, two basses, piano and drums. And I thought that that'd be a nice palette for me to display to the audience my personal musical experiences with various size groups, with the various libraries, all the songs basically by me, all the arrangements by me, all the copying by me, all the hiring by me, and some firing by me, <laughs> all those kind of real details that I chance to do. Uh, it's going to be a really nice evening, and I expect that, that uh, the musicians who, again, who are now getting back to playing with people, here they have a chance to go to the Ron Carter Library and hear the library play with other Ron Carter groups. So for them, it would be a nice experience, too. Fantastic. Great. Are there any other current projects that you're working on that you want to discuss? And that's taken all my interest. You know, now that the uh, COVID is, is working its way back, you know, the Carnegie has their rules and, and their, their, their uh, tests and stuff like that. I'm so cons almost consumed with making sure the 20 musicians who I'm asking to this concert have been cleared to play Carnegie Hall. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, the stagehand, the, 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 the uh, guys who are carrying the equipment, they got to be tested. The guys who are carrying the basses, the guys who are carrying the, the, the librarians of the, all those music I got. We all right. got to be checked out. And so that right now, that's, that's consuming me more than breakfast. You have a, a worry as to whether it may not happen? Oh, I'm, I'm not concerned it won't happen. My job is to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And to do that, I have to let other things go to give the mind the right attention. I get an email from Carnegie Hall saying that you got to make sure that you get these forms in within 21 days of the concert. Well, that's my job. I got to call 20 people and say, look, guys, gals, you want to do this gig with Ron Carter? Get off your ass and let's get this thing done. Starting with making sure you've done all the testing necessary that Carnegie Hall insists that you uh, do this to get in, the, get in the hall. So it's those kind of things that are consuming most of my interest right now. Right. Which is maybe such a great distraction for a creative musician, you know, to be on such the business end of things in that way. Well, it gives you another sense of what it takes to make it work. I'm not sure that's critical to playing good. But yeah, I mean, you, you understand. Right, right. <laughs> you know, Just another the, element, I guess. Yeah, from the from the details that we don't normally have to be fooling around with, you know. Right, right, great. And um, in terms of uh, the future of jazz music, what is your opinion, and what direction do you think it's going? Uh, well, let me kind of back into that. If you find the address where it is, give it to me. I'll be there. Uh, now that we're opening up again, and it's been really closed because of the society's rules right, right now, uh, I have no idea where it's going. I think no one really knows that they can guess and use examples of what they th want it to be, but I just wanted to be productive. I just wanted to show people this is another phase of development of this music that we call jazz. And here are some people who are either leading the parade or organizing the parade or should be in the parade to take jazz to another level, whatever that level is. Again, if you find the address, give it to me, and I'll go by and see if, see if I like it. Right, right. Okay, cool. 
And um, just in regards of all the projects you've been a part of, are there any specific ones that are a highlight for you? Favorite albums, favorite moments? And if I answer that question, I always kind of dance around it as much as I don't dance at all. Uh, <laughs> to answer that question, honestly, that means that somebody else is going to get left out. Understood. And, and uh, with social media, what it is, I don't, I don't, I don't mind phone to blow up because these people could say, "Hey, man, I thought I was your important part." Yeah, I'm not going to do that. I, I will say this: each of those discs that I made is a freak school for me because each 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 band leader has their own way of getting the same results, and I've admired those various perspectives, those various devices, if you will, that the band leaders have gotten to get the band to optimize to 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 function at an optimal level for the music he thinks that they, the group, and individually are able to necessary to perform play the music that he or she expects of them. You know, they all have their ways of getting the stuff done. And, and that's what, I'm going to school every night. And I, how do you make this piano player stop playing this? You know, how do you make the, how do you make, how do you make the drummer retune the bass drum? Mm. How do you make the guys understand how important it is that an eight o'clock gig doesn't mean showing up at eight o'clock. It means showing up at seven o'clock. You know, how do you make guys feel responsible for the music and gals? You know, uh, so my career has been a, a permanent student, and I'm learning something every day. And I hope that I've been able to translate some of this almost overwhelming knowledge that I've been given into a format that people who I hire to my groups, I'm able to get the optimum from their performance, like I saw other band leaders get it from their side men. Hmm. Understood. Great. Uh, anything else you'd like us to know about that you'd like to discuss? Get to Carnegie yeah. Hall, May 10, man. You, you want to know what I think about jazz? Come to Carnegie Hall. W will they be recording that evening as well? They're thinking about it, but it's, you know, it's the union and stuff to do. You know, that, that's not my priority. My priority is making sure everyone is eligible to get in Carnegie Hall so we can play the music. Oh. Yeah, okay. I, I haven't gotten, I will stop for lunch. It's a brief moment before I stop worrying about that kind of stuff again. All right. Fantastic. Cool. Just a, a bass player question, because I've always wondered, and this is a little bit unrelated, but you have that band around your bass, that black strap. What, yeah. is, what is that for? That, that it's tied to a, a, a um, what do you call that? A, uh, let me show you. It's better, I guess. Don't go away. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> mm -hmm. Holds this. Oh, okay. I've never seen that side. All right. It's it's like, like, like a, I couldn't think of the word bib. Yeah, it's the bib. Okay. And what it does is make my buttons not, not do that. Right. And how old is this bass that you're playing now? Is it... Uh, I just got it three years ago, but I haven't played it because I had no gigs. Right. It's about 15 years old. Okay. Nice sound. Not bad. <laughs> no, not bad at all. 
Not bad at all. Very cool. <laughs> and since I have you, because I don't know when I, if I ever will again. Okay. Uh, I'm writing a book on Ray Brown. Oh, wow. I've been working on it for 20 years. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts, if I could, on Ray Brown. A wonderful player. A person who I never got to know very well because they were working with Oscar all the time. And as uh, I got busy, I wasn't working nearly as much, but my schedule always conflicted with my ability to see them play and to establish a relationship with him. But clearly he's a very important voice in the history of jazz bass and person that we must all tip our hat to by showing us what the things the bass could do before someone else showed them. Wonderful player, inventive player, great sound. Um, I would imagine a great band leader been this on scene with, with the guys. He's a link to the to bird and this for the bass players. Right. And uh, a very nice man. Great. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, that's all I had prepared. Uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. I hope to make it out to the show. Come on, man. Don't give me that. I hope to. Get, get out. There are about, about 95 seats left. Get over there. <laughs> we'll get over there. All right. And, uh, I spoke. I recently interviewed uh, Leon Lee, Dorsey, and he. Oh, yes. 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 Uh, he speaks so highly of you. It's a. Uh, it was it was great to speak with him. About He's one of the guys who who was carrying the flag, man. That I've helped show him how to unfurl the flag. You know what that means? Unfurl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I showed him some ways to unfurl the flag. He's carrying it really well. <laughs> I know he appreciates you from speaking with him, Mr. Carter. Thank you so yes. much. Thank you, Jay. You be careful. Yeah. And too. I won't see you there, but I can feel your vibe. So don't think you can sneak by and not get it there. <laughs> Fair enough. Come on, man. Come on. Sounds good. Thanks again. Good to see you. Good Talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye. Review the concert for your magazine. Yes. Absolutely. That way you got to be there. No. <laughs> yeah, I'll be there. Okay. Okay. Take it easy. Bye. All right. There you have it. My conversation with Ron Carter. I want to thank Mr. Carter for his time and his fantastic music. For all things Ron Carter, go to roncarterjazz.com. Periodically, I'll post some more interviews that I've done. I've done quite a few, um, and I'll get these up there for you to, to check out. If you're interested in the show and upcoming episodes or past episodes, go to 30albumsfor30years.com. Let's keep the music alive.